Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. November is off to an offbeat start. With our first episode of the month, as Graham McMillan and I dig in deep to talk about the announcement of the unionization of the workers of Image Comics, mull over yet again the Al Ewing Joe Bennett run on the Immortal Hulk, dig up the old trades of Supreme Story of the Year and Supreme The Return, written by Alan Moore, and also throw in some quality gab about Roy of the Rovers, Stronium Dog, and Die by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Testing, testing, testing. Yes, god damn you, son of a bitch, motherfucking scum-sucking maggot. Alright, okay, um... Here's the thing, like, you should just start there, with me saying testing, 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 and you leaping in, leaping in, with the emphatic disappointment. Yes, yes, Graham, and for a change, it's not directed at you and your reading taste, it's actually directed at Skype. (laughs) We'll get him, don't worry. Oh, we will. We will. Um, uh, Graham, do you want to tell the listeners about what they're missing out on? And I'm not just talking about the first five minutes that didn't record, but but the but the wait what episode that might have been, and perhaps one day might be. Oh, I I literally had no idea what you're talking about. I was like, is he talking about the fact that we just tried to record and couldn't record like three minutes, including me singing "Fire" by the Crazy Worlds of Arthur Brown? Oh God! No, now you mentioned it, and oh. I got to put it in the show notes again. Son of a bitch! And sadly, we've lost the recording of you listening to it for the first time. Yes, I'm going, and I quote, "Oh Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> Which was amazing. Um, no, this was going to be. I think we said this last time. Uh, Chloe was going to be in this episode, and we were going to talk about Dune and Malignant. And I th- want to say there's another film we we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. but um, but we're not doing any of that because it's just you and me this time. Yeah. What not? Let me tell you. <laughs> I have said like over the last like month or so, like oh shit, like there's so much going on. I'm so exhausted. Everything is shit. Um, part of that was that, um, we had to say goodbye to one of our dogs and it was Tango Jones who had been Chloe's dog for 15 years, which, you know, was, was understandable. Wow. You know, a lot. And in fact, like she had helped deliver him. Right. Yeah. So, so that was, that was, that was a lot. And that happened a few weeks ago and, uh, Chloe decided pretty soon after she's like, I I want to get another dog. Like it it feels weird, you know, not having basically like that presence around. And so last week we adopted a puppy from a, a shelter. And on the one hand, Puffy is adorable. Um, it's it's he's he's incredibly young. He is as we are talking twelve weeks old. Wow. Um, he well, it turns out the litter was born in the shelter. Really? So wow. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so that's why you know basically he was in a shelter that that young. Um, and he is the same mix as Tango, and he's he's an incredibly affectionate dog. He's he's lovely. He's also the most energetic dog 
in the world. Oh yeah. At, at that age, understandably knows nothing. <laughs> and when I say knows nothing, I mean knows nothing. Doesn't understand like, you know, even cues of you should leave this other dog who's barking at you alone. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, play? Great, I'll bark back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fair to say that this last week has been one of the most exhausting. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and the short version is, uh, A, Chloe's exhausted, uh, and B, you know, someone needs to put the nine-year-old to bed. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so so she is dealing with that as opposed to being here talking about uh, the film that... I mean, I don't, I don't even know. Have you watched June? Because you hadn't last time last week. Yeah, no. I watched it two days ago. Was looking forward to talking about it, i got to say. So, well, you know. So think we can still talk about it in a couple of weeks when hopefully, you know, we, we, we can try this, this episode to take two. Yes. Yeah. But for those hoping that that's what we're going to talk about, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's not to be for you know reasons outside our control. That 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 is, I presume, what you meant when you said tell the what. Yes, absolutely, one hundred and ten percent. So See, this is what happens when you and I actually don't plan things out, and you say things like that, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, uh, okay, sure, I think he probably meant this. Well, <laughs> or the flip side, when we do plan things out and then they fall through, and I'm like, ah, uh, what are we gonna talk about for the next couple hours, Graham? So, Graham, what are we gonna talk about for the next? Oh. Jeff, Couple what hours. aren't we going to talk about? It? Oh, wow. Um, you keep making no, these first, extravagant statements like, oh. Well, first of all, mm-hmm. first of all, yeah. um, there is the news that earlier this week, Image Comics workers formed a union. Yes. Um, and and everything that came from that. Should I should I offer some, Please. some context and then mm-hmm. we can talk about it? Mm-hmm. So on Monday... Uh, it was announced that something called Comic Book Workers United had organized. It is a union made up of Image Comics employees. And the the uh, organization announced themselves on Twitter and, and social media exploded, in part because I think a lot of people thought that it was Image Comics creators mm. were part of a union. Mm-hmm. It is not. Mm-hmm. It is Image Comics staff. Mm-hmm. Who, are, who are forming a union. This was taken by many people as, thank God, unions have come to comics, everything is saved. What people didn't really seem to be discussing, oddly enough, was uh, reading, I was going to say between the lines, but reading the website of Comic Book Workers United, you realize the Image Comics is, is apparently a really shitty place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are their, their goals. The, the, the nine asks that they make what we hope to achieve i don't know if you if you've read this or not jeff i I, I skimmed it quickly but i did yeah so this was on monday uh one to foster a more competitive industry as a whole through salary and workload transparency for all existing and proposed job titles employees industry-wide should know what they and their peers are working for and what they can expect from future employment seems fair enough yes yeah Improve staff morale through annual staff and management reviews to assess performance workloads and whether there is a clear need to expand a department, craft a new role, or increase compensation for employees who have taken on a larger quantity or more complex, more complex suite of tasks. Mm. Mm. In other words, hmm, 
maybe things are just a little bit slippery there in terms of people doing more work than they should. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that one, that point was the one where I, I grunted aloud reading it, I know. so Three, anyway. the creation of a more transparent company culture through monthly all-hands meetings so all staff can better understand both the current and future priorities, responsibilities, and workloads of other departments. Yeah. Again, you're starting to think, wait, Image Comics is apparently a shitty place to work. Four, increase knowledge retention through the implementation of detailed record keeping and procedure documentation for all tasks deemed essential to any given role. These documents are to include details and explicit descriptions and instructions for all expected job duties. Mm. Kind of ties back into like point number two, don't you think? Oh, very much so. I yeah, the people are clearly being given a job title and then being told, actually, you should also be doing this as well. Mm-hmm. Number five: improve career mobility for all staff through stricter adherence to the company's stated intent to offer open positions up to qualified existing employees prior to opening them up to the public. Mm. Number six, the continuation of remote work for any employee who requests it and the creation of a details policy outlining how the company provides reasonable accommodations and supplies for remote employees. The pandemic has removed the necessity for the company to pay for a central office space, utilities, etc., with employees in some cases now shouldering 100% of costs Mm. that should be shared by the employer. Costs such as internet power furnishings and other office supplies, computer hardware, and related maintenance costs to work from their own personal devices, the company must outline an equitable arrangement for sharing a reasonable percentage of these costs. Nice. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of companies are basically struggling with this right now. (laughs) This, again... Struggling in the sense of a lot of them are ignoring it, and a lot of the workers are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this is a, this is not something that is uh, image only, shall we say. Yes. Seven, better overall product through the immediate addition of staff, particularly in production and marketing departments. Mm. Our creators, retailers, and readers can expect white glove attention for all the books we publish, books which will go to press with fewer errors, fewer delays, and a more robust marketing presence due to a more strategic approach to staffing in reasonable proportion to the actual quantity of output we generate. Again, number seven, Really links back to number four and number two. Yeah. I think like, it, it feels like they are literally shouting at the top of their lungs. Mm-hmm. We do not have people to do what we're, supposed to, we're expected to do. And also, we don't necessarily know what that is at any given opportunity. Right. Number eight, a long-term actionable plan to address the overall lack of diversity in both general staff and management. The authors, artists, and readers who bring comics to life have never been homogenous, and the stories we publish can only be improved by staffing our organization in a way that more accurately reflects the demographics of our creators, our readers, and the nation as a whole. Mm. And number nine, and this one, interestingly enough, is the one that I think is a big ask. A number of people I've spoken to have been like, no, this one makes sense in a way that others are big asks. Hmm. Number nine, renewed commitment to company values through the addition of a collective voting option to immediately cancel publication of any title whose creators have been found to engage in abuse, sexual assault, racism and xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, ableism, etc. until such time as said creators have engaged in meaningful reparations toward affected persons. Mm-hmm. That one, to me, feels like the biggest asks that they're making. Hmm. 
because they're essentially saying Image Comics as a whole gets the same what Image Comics as a company publishes, mm-hmm. which is never been the case. It's basically been Eric Stevenson, mm-hmm. right? To my mind, all of the other eight is basically please let us run our company well. Right. And then number nine is actually we want to make a change as to how this company works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I've spoken to many people this week who disagree. And interestingly enough, a lot of them, what do you think that more people think is a bigger ask in that list of nine goals? Uh, working remotely in restitution? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's one everyone else thinks is a much bigger ask. And they think that the last one is not a big ask at all. Right. Anyway, um, this was Monday when this was announced. Um, And in response, and I have to look up my email right now for this. Uh, In response, Image Comics issued the following statement. Image has always believed in the fair and equitable treatment of staff and has always strived to support employees to the best of our company's ability with regards to their employment. (laughs) That was on Monday. Okay, and that was issued. Uh, I got the email at ten to seven at night. Mm-hmm. Okay, Friday, which is to say, yesterday as we're recording this, mm-hmm. uh, there is a second statement issued by Image, seemingly out of nowhere. Earlier this week, the Communication Workers of America filed the representation petition with the National Labor Relations Board asking to hold a secret ballot election so that eligible members of the Image Comics office staff can determine if they want the CWA to represent them in their employment with Image. The NLRB is currently reviewing that petition to determine when that election will be held, where it will take place, and who can vote. Everyone at Image is committed to working through this process, and we're confident that the resolution to these efforts will have positive long-term benefits. Jeff, what do you think that statement means? Uh, well, I, I mean, are you asking me rhetorically, or are you asking me as, like, a dude with some very, very faint and I, I'm asking you as, I'm, I'm asking you expecting an answer. So Okay. Uh, so, I think that, that it is not uncommon... Uh, for companies when they are uh, faced with the prospect of people trying to unionize, um, they tend to bring in um, lawyers or um, basically some form of representation to make sure that, quote-unquote, the process is happening appropriately. Um And sometimes what they're actually doing is looking like they are supporting what's going on, but are in fact doing their best to undermine what's going on by bringing in, yeah, sorry, by bringing in outside people that can essentially shut things down under the, the auspices of quote unquote, making sure everything's happening correctly. Now, my initial reading of that um, was that, not unlike yours, but was also that Image was in some way in communication with the Communication Workers of America. Mm-hmm. And that it had basically asked the CWA to intervene in this. Mm-hmm. Imagine my surprise upon discovering that's not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
instead, uh, Comic Book Workers United had themselves been in communication with the Communication Workers of America. And in fact, the CWA had helped them organize. Mm -hmm. And that what the statement basically means is that um, Image is refusing the request to voluntarily recognize the union. That's right. Um, Image had the opportunity to voluntarily recognize this union outside of the National Labor uh, Relations Board. Mm-hmm. Okay, it it was it was perfectly within the the legal rights of the company to do so. Yes, uh, in part because a majority of Image employees were part of the union. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, maybe just a small shop, as maybe the goals might have suggested. Yeah, I mean that is that is part of the thing when you look at the signatures of the people. Like I, th- and and this is this is the thing that I think is a, a very salient point is is when companies refuse to uh, voluntarily recognize a union and they say it's in the best interests of the workers to do so, they're usually talking about situations where they feel that the employee count is so high and numerous that they want to make sure that the representations of the people actually um, are speaking for the majority of the workers. In this situation where I believe it's something like 10 of the 12 workers yes, are... Yeah. Ten of the twelve Image Comics employees, yeah, are named signed members yep. of the Comic Book Workers United as uh, union as they have presented themselves. They are named on the website. Ten of the twelve, yeah, um, and uh, Image had a five p.m. on Friday deadline to voluntarily recognize the union, mm-hmm. and they, in fact, did not respond but instead issued that statement. And so that statement has been taken by multiple parties to be uh, basically an answer, a rejection to, to voluntarily recognize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see where this goes. The the um, On Monday, it was definitely taken by many people as like, thank God, step in the right direction. <laughs> And I totally, I, I mean, perhaps I open myself up for mockery, but I, I very much feel that way still, Graham, no, don't no, you? No, no. I, th- I think it is. But what I was going to say is I f- feel that that was the response. Mm-hmm. That or I'm so happy to see comic book creators finally have a union, which is 100% not true. Right. But I feel like did not see much of, okay, but A, how bad is its working image right now? And B... Like what is going on with Image? Has Image recognized it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think a lot of people had taken it as this was a done deal, and Image had recognized it. Right. And I think it took until yesterday for people to realize that essentially Image is standing against it. Uh, yeah. Although the problem that is hard is Image is not going to say that, and would fact actively deny it. Yes, and, and you know, I am sure they one hundred percent would re- reject. Uh, both that reading of the situation and also the um, the Comic Book Workers United's own interpretation that the request to voluntary, uh, voluntarily recognize the union had been rejected. I fully believe that Image uh, will officially say and could potentially even mean that they want all the, the you know, I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed. Mm-hmm. 
but the facts of the matter remain that they had the opportunity to voluntarily recognize the union and they did not yeah no the uh, the most charitable uh read of the situation um and at least to look at it for image uh is that they are trying to buy more time you know um i think that that is we'll see we'll see what turns out but it certainly everything that they're doing so far at least in my incredibly limited understanding falls very much in line with uh, a management process that is going to drag things out as long as possible figure out what it will take to kind of undermine the unionization um you know it's it's interesting to me how much of the claims like you said um uh, all but are crying out for um for lack of a better term like just the sort of basics that people in a regular workplace yes, would more or less yes. expect you that's know that's just it like they're of their what we hope to achieve list of those nine aims yeah with the, honestly with the exception of the last one it honestly feels like they're just saying help us to do our jobs better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well yeah okay which one do you think isn't no 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 i don't i'm sorry i don't i'm not it's not that i'm disagreeing with you i think i think it's the the there's help us to do the jobs better but it's also a um how do i put it it, it you know it it is there is there's there's everything in it. Like on the one hand, it is you know it's literally like stop making my job a living nightmare. You know because it's essentially you know every chunk of it except for the arguably the working from home. Both points. I think that's point six and point nine. You know um, the rest of them are the sort of things that that I think a an appropriately set up company with say an HR department that, you know, although HR departments are by and large there to take the bullet for management and, or to, you know, crush potential situations like these from arising. Part of the way that they do crush it is by following up with the laws and, and keeping the job, the management, um, minimize their risks for things like lawsuits and what have you and there's there is some very you know that is the reason why people codify job duties and things like that i mean i I, the the only two things i want to maneuver in is just sort of the um like you said the we need for this to be talked about more openly um and we also need it to be my personal feeling and i could be wrong is i would be surprised if the situations for the image workers are unique compared to oh god many other exactly i i would be stunned yeah if you know people working at god name any comic company Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) look at that list and go oh yeah yeah that's us too yeah for real yeah Completely, um, completely. You know, famously, people at you know, especially Marvel, uh, 
are are hideously overworked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, it's it's kind of crazy to me that image which does and, and David Brothers had a Twitter thread about this where he's essentially saying like you know when he was at image people talk like they tried to portray themselves as like you know the best deal in media mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, but then it's it you know an image does do that image positions itself as you know we are the premier publisher if you care about if you care about your work if you care about material if you care about comics you'll publish through us right right and then you see number seven better overall product through the immediate addition of staff, particularly in production and marketing departments. Yeah. You know, books go to press with fewer errors, fewer delays, and a more robust marketing presence. You know, that's... It, it's amazing to me that, if nothing else, Image isn't shamed by this. Well, um, I mean... Yeah, I mean, sure. There's, there's I mean, there's, there's a couple of different situations here. You know, and this is this is I think to speak to your point, um, the same reason that uh, you know me and a huge chunk of people were like, oh my god, the comics creators are unionizing. Like I personally think that the production people unionizing is great, fabulous. It's super important to understand in a way how deep the schism can be between quote-unquote the creatives and quote-unquote you know the staff and i think one of the things that is unfortunately particularly germane to image is as i understand it part of why and how image offers the one of the best deals in comics has a lot to do with the idea that at least my understanding image takes a very small cut you know they tend uh, there have been some certain situations i think basically depending on the imprint you know something like kirkman skybound where writers and artists get paid you know page rates or things you know they also are essentially doing work for hire with maybe some back-end participation but you know what we think of is sort of Image Comics is, uh, you know, the founders, quote unquote, the partners, the people who own a piece of the company and their comics. And then there's, you know, everyone else and everyone else is offered, you know, basically a chance to keep their own rights and to keep most of their money. Um, And I think, although it could be wrong i would not surprise me if one of the things that the image creators um the, the particularly the partnership are thinking about is the idea of if they unionize the amount the bigger they will take a bigger cut of the pie to cover their working expenses like they just are going to have to as the way that they think of it you know, and so suddenly mm-hmm. you've got a situation where most of the people who come into Image or people who are publishing on Image and and sort of barely getting by, like, um, you know, one of the things, and I'm in no way suggesting that he is someone who who I I, I 
would believe that he would be incredibly fully supportive of the image workers. But Jim Zub, who was generous enough um, with his knowledge to write a series of articles, line out, laying out his bottom line, how he makes money or doesn't make money when he starts to make money with the comics that he was publishing through image. If mm-hmm. image takes twice as much of a cut or three times as much of a cut as it did before, such that you have to sell that many more books in order to break even. Um, I, I, And I'm not saying, again, I'm saying that there are certain creators who are going to be like either A, well, why don't I just self-publish? Or B, you know, start looking elsewhere. Or C, just be like, you know what? I can't, I can't. I can't afford that. I can't afford... It's one thing that, that I, you know, I, as the writer, am paying the rest of the creative team out of my pocket with the idea that, you know, when we get collected in trades, I'll actually see uh, a return on... I'll be able to make my money back, and, sure. you know, the whole team might be able to make something beyond their the really straggly page rates. But, you know, they might be like, I don't really know if I can, you know, if you've moved my break-even point from 3,000 copies to 6,000 copies, you know, if, if, I, if I can, you know, basically publish through Image. I do wonder, because um, I, I think it is almost unavoidable that... Assuming the image doesn't fire all these people and bring in people who aren't unionized. Mm. <laughs> um, assuming that image, you know, the, the comic book workers United's union, it stays around and makes up the majority of images staff, and that the the changes they request happen. Um, it, it's almost unimaginable that image would not start taking more money from the creators. Right. So just, I mean, just literally to cover, yeah, the, the, the additional stuff, right? And right. I and I think and I think that they should. I think that they should. You know, believe me, I definitely think that they should take more money, especially when you look at and consider. I mean, I think, and I could very easily be proven wrong with just a quick Google stroke or two, but I don't think that at all any or all of us have a very good idea of how the image partnership really works. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, they, they, uh, I would argue that they do their best to, to not make that public. Absolutely. As, as every, you know, as, as I continue to show my ass more and more during the course of this conversation, I should mention, in a very vague, hopefully, way that will not get me in massive amounts of trouble. I work in the field of law and and not as a lawyer. And one of the things that happens with law firms is they are run at a partnership level, you know, in a way, I would think, not unlike uh, Image does. And when you are a partner, that means that you are both expected to you know reap a certain percentage of the benefits during profitable years and you're also expected to be the people who put in money when years are lean 
And so, you know, it. I think the thing to me that is interesting is you have the image founders that, you know, are still members out of the five of the original seven or whatever, six out of the original eight or whoever it ends up being. Um, and then you have at least a few later editions of which Robert Kirkman is the most recent. And I, th I think it's just Kirkman, isn't it? I would think so, but I didn't want to necessarily talk out of turn. I know that he has been a partner, but I don't know, again, I don't know if there were situations that were set up, you know, otherwise. It could well be that Stevenson as, um, you know, a publisher slash executive editor might be considered a partner a partner um for all intents Accor and purposes according to a press release i just found from 2019 the current image comics partners are robert kirkman eric larson todd mcfarland mark silvestri eric stevenson and jim valentino okay so stevenson is a partner as well yeah, yeah. liefeld's gone lee's gone yeah yeah well and kirkman's gone i'm sorry what's that uh, Steve, uh, uh, Kirkman and Stevenson have both been added. Yes, Kirkman and Stevenson have both been added. Wasn't wasn't there someone else? Anyway, so so I mean, I, I could be I could be incredibly wrong and mistaken about this, but I would say half of those names, I don't, I wouldn't say that they're like big earners for Image. You know what I mean? Like. I don't necessarily know. Maybe I'm completely I mean, wrong. Realistically, it's probably McFarlane and Kirkman, right? Silvestri, maybe just Top Cow bringing a lot. I I don't know. I think I think Top Cow probably did. I think Top Cow at its at its peak was profitable. Sure, it I, did have I some mean, media no. deals, but yeah. But now, I mean, he might be publishing comics like you know consistently i think mcfarlane is arguably the only dude apart from kirkman like you said who's profitable in a way in a float all boats kind of way i could be completely mistaken but i do not think if eric larson's savage dragon work is you know self-sustaining for eric larson that's great but i don't see him turning around and being like oh okay so you know, I have to pony up an additional $60,000 a year in operating costs, you know. So you, you start getting those situations. Like I, again, as someone who's worked in law, I've seen situations where um, suddenly a firm that looks incredibly profitable is talking about like layoffs and selling off mm -hmm. furniture and things like that. And so, so earlier on this year, for, mm -hmm. for reasons of, of a story that ended up not happening for multiple reasons. Um, I was asking various people, like, what is the image deal? Right. And a lot of people were basically like, I am not going to tell you. Wow. And, I, and, you know, you can't blame them, right? Because these were people who work with image. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you honestly can't blame them. This is what I have. This is what I was told. And again, this could be wrong because I got multiple stories from multiple people. But the best I can figure is image creators pay a fee, like a set fee. Right. For every issue mm -hmm. that goes through. And all the money generated from that uh, 
go to the creators. Except. Well, wait, wait. Break that down a little bit. Do you? So you okay. mean? Okay. So uh, this is the way it was explained to me. Okay. Okay. Officially, mm-hmm. and this is why I, I'm saying officially for reasons you'll get to in a second. Right. Image charges its creators a set fee per issue that gets published. Right. So and that's per, all all per, creators, right? That's every Jim yes. Zub. Right. right. Yes, that's mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. And creators then get all of the proceeds uh, proceeds from sales. Ah, okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> multiple people I talked to said that that's the official version, mm. but it's not the real version. Interesting. And the real version I heard from multiple people. And again, other people said other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how true this is, is that... Image takes that fee from the sales, so no one pays money up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Image just waits until the orders have been take uh, have been made, mm-hmm. and then takes that fee out of that money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Passing it. Okay, so image is taking a cut of sales. Yes. Well, it's, sorry, but it's yes. not passing mm-hmm. for the upfront money. That's right. Okay. Right. Um. But then I also heard a third version, which is Image does ask for a fee up front for every issue. Doesn't take a cut on on sales, except when it comes to collected editions and graphic novels, when it does take a cut on sales. Hmm. So any of those might be real or might not. Right. Right, or it that's, could be. But mm-hmm. that's kind of getting to what I'm, I was saying before. For some reason, it's incredibly arcane to find out exactly how image works. Right. Like, it's well, really weirdly difficult. Well, uh, right. And also, like, other people said, you know, some creators get advances from image. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I you believe know? it. I believe it. And so, well, and so it's the thing of, right, they get advances... <sighs> There, the thing that is rough is kind of not unlike the comic book industry itself. Uh, Image has been in this fascinating position over the years where there it had multiple options to grow itself in a sustainable way during periods of extreme short term growth. Um, and I would be surprised if those steps were taken. And I think, I think for me, a very instructive version of that is looking at, uh, again, Kirkman's Skybound, you know, it's, and, and I say that, but there's actually, this is not uncommon where a lot of the, the original image creators, you know, formed their own studios and sometimes sub imprints and things Mm -hmm. in order to more or less make those um, because they didn't, (laughs) there the, the, the like image was like the big bang kind of formed in this cataclysmic shift that I suspect 
like the Big Bang, has more or less continued to grow and expand, powered from the force of that, uh, you know, initial cataclysm. You know, the image by forming when it did, and especially striking the deals that it did, has always had a certain my understanding as it was explained to me is as long as image published a certain number of books every month they managed to get the most favorable terms that they had negotiated with diamond and that as the founders more or less stopped hitting their deadlines or you know, miss their deadlines or started to branch out into other multimedia projects and weren't even going to set deadlines, um, it became important in order to keep that sweetheart deal to be able to publish a number of titles, right? So then you have Image become a force for publishing others outside of the original five or seven but as we know because i can't count i think it's the image seven right was the yeah, original was the image seven. so the, the image, image seven uh, the, the image seven where mcfarland lee uh rob liefeld mark silvestri eric larson jim valentino and uh whilst Portacio. yeah that sounds right so these these guys all more or less made themselves an ex- use their power and clout to cut themselves an extraordinarily good deal as we know because to varying degrees some of them immediately set up work for hire studios where they employed artists and you know quote-unquote apprentices that they underpaid and offered no rights to they didn't really feel much of a very strong need to protect others you know what i mean and so and so it's very important i think that's really important to keep in mind because image is always managed to paint itself as an incredibly altruistic we stand we literally are founded by creators for creators and what it was is it was founded by seven creators for seven creators and i and that's a pretty profound difference as they have gone on to pivot into a strategy and a publishing brand, I mean, they have ended up with some some very big successes, right? Like, I for me, I yeah. think I think Kirkman's Walking Dead at its height was bringing in so much money for Kirkman that I I especially part of why I think the idea that Image was um, more <laughs> why Kirkman suddenly became a partner that that your theory, that what you heard was the idea that image takes you know a basic cut on graphic novels um, is true is I think Kirkman was like hey wait a minute you know I'm basically giving everybody because you're taking this cut according to this contract you know you're taking out 8 million out of the 80 million that I made this year in my trade paperback sales. 
why shouldn't I just go somewhere else? You know, and and I could be wrong. I I literally believe me could not be talking more out my butt if I was a goatsy hand puppet. But I do wonder if like that it that arrangement is true enough that someone who had such a level of success was like okay if you if you want me if you know if you if you don't want me to fuck off to like dark horse or something because i own this material and i can take it elsewhere you know and they were probably like oh, okay well you got to do something like a buy in here or a buy in there you know i think i think that in other words i think what would have been great would have been if they'd said like oh okay well if you want in as image then either you know a buy somebody else out or you know b one of the things that they could have or maybe had asked to do would have been something along it instead of him buying in at a level that you know todd mcfarlane was like hooray i get the you know buy another porsche and some more diet pills or whatever he they could have taken that money and put it into you know, some sort of regular fund that that grows at, you know, has a certain rate of investment or guaranteed rate of investment or an actual financial investor, and then more or less taken the proceeds from the amount of money invested to have their operating budget, right? But I, I really strongly suspect nothing like that happened. And it's a shame because I don't think we're not looking at image at its heyday right now, at least as I understand it. I mean, I haven't really peaked at sales or anything like that, but I don't, I don't, you know, Walking Dead is gone. I don't think Kill, Kill, Kill is, or Die, Die, Die is doing, you know, Walking Dead numbers. You know, I don't, they, Saga's on its edge of returning, but it basically fucked off for a couple of years. And again, we're not even really sure how much of that money goes to Image and how much of it just goes to, to Vaughn and Staples and the people that they employ. So it's, it's an incredibly amorphous situation. Like, Image has always been, uh, it's been a Potemkin village in many ways. It just happens to be a Potemkin village, like so much of comics, where that even though the buildings are facades, you know, you still have people marching to work there each day, you know, and and somehow managing to sleep in their two-dimensional bedrooms every night. And I think that that's... Uh... So I think, I, you know, I personally think that the fact that these 12 people, 10 of these 12 people are asking for a union is fabulous. And I really hope that I can see sort of a situation in which, if nothing else, the image people may have to sit down at the bargaining table with these people rather than voluntarily recognize, you know, the union, because they might have to more or less say, look, we got bad news for you. You can't turn around and ask us to basically add another $240,000 to our operating budget for next year because we're already in the red this year and we have no idea necessarily how we're going to clamber out of it, you know, apart from, uh, apart from, you know, will Kirkman agree to, to, you know, lend the company, you know, uh, three quarters of a million dollars or something like that, 
you know, at super preferable interest rates. I, I can't, I can't really, you know, I'm, I'm so far away from, from that realm, but I do think that one of the things that utterly sucks is I think that there were points where image could have had that money. And I think that there are points where image will have that money again. And I could be totally wrong. And I think image will could well have the money now, but I think the combination of, like you said, everyone did a huge big shout out of like, holy shit, comic creators, this is going to change everything. And then it was like, oh, it's staff and creators are probably going to have to pay their bills. Suddenly it kind of became a dull mumbling. Like I really, really hope that we see, it would help a ton to see some really big creators you know, publishing through image or not, step up and say stuff. But I, you know, I still have a feeling that it, again, as as shitty as those demands make image like a place, uh, a crazy ass <laughs> place to work. Part of me is like, I think it's it probably, probably better than yeah. yeah, it's probably better than you know whatever it is like it would be boom. Right, exactly. You you could be like 13 of you crammed into a tiny suite of offices in Boom, which still, Boom and Dark Horse look great when you start getting down to those rumors of like, yeah, I mean, you know, Alex Ross actually lets people come over and sit in his garage, and that's that's how Dynamite operates, you know? Or like, oh yeah, that old woodshed, that old what's-his-name, William what's-his-name, didn't have a use for thank god because you know that's where all of avatar press operates out of the place where he used to slaughter pigs <laughs> you know it's like i don't i, I genuinely have forgotten avatar press existed <laughs> yeah right so so i don't so i i don't like part of me is is um I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that that have to happen. There's a lot of things that have to happen. What would be great? Do you think? Sorry. Yeah. No. I, I. What would be great would be statements of solidarity from other workers at other um, companies. Not even the creatives means a lot in the sense of being able to sort of push the narrative back into the public's mouth which i think is now, now super I important i've not seen statements but, uh -huh. um, the website does have a list of supporters which that's right creators yeah which i which i signed just today actually because i didn't realize that it had that list um, um but but you're right what i was going to say is do you think this is do you think this is actually going to not only happen but like make a change is this going to lead to like a DC Comics Union? Is this going to lead to a Marvel Comics Union? It's not going to lead to a Marvel Comics Union. Um, well, I it, mean, it could. I mean, it really could. I, I think that... I just don't know enough about... companies, Marvel strikes me as the one that will fire people first. Oh, I mean, you know, I, there, there's, there's, there's a certain amount of protections that happen to you when you call for a union, and there's enough of you. So, I mean, in theory, you can do some of that without fear Did of retaliation. See, um, yeah. uh, what's his name? Oh, God. Um, Alejandro Arbona. Who's mm. the, the writer and editor? Uh, did you see his response to the announcement on Monday? No. 
uh, he said, he tweeted out, it gives a ray of hope to this old Marvel assistant. All the times we'd bemoan our shabby treatment and talk about unionizing, we then pinpoint the likely scabs, cro- line crossers, fear we'd get fired to lose hope and give up. Yeah. Yep. No, and that's the discussion that's been ha- happening for a long time. I, forever. I, yeah, forever. I think, to me... <sighs> There are there's there are ways in which this could happen and this could change things, um, and like I said, a lot of it would be if other, um, I, well, basically, I I think that a lot of it is going to have to be either the threats of or genuine s- strikes, because the thing about when you underwork people, which people in image are i mean uh, understaffed and overworked is that means that they are even more crucial the the fact that the the people the workers at image are talking about amorphous job positions with no documentation is how to train is unless you have um like super well-paid managerial staff that know everything you know like eric stevenson worked every role there and he can turn around and instruct someone or do it himself (laughs) exactly if if someone goes on strike there it's not going to be eric stevenson who's going to do the production duties on on you know the next issue of i hate fairyland you know well and and i mean this is the point if you if you have one person doing the job of three people, that one person striking is like three people striking. It's not yes. like they can get one of those other three to step in there. It's one thing well, no, no, when exactly. you... And the thing is, yeah. like we, it, it's 10 of 12 staff members. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if they go on strike, image is basically shut down. Exactly. Exactly. And that has to be the sort of thing that I think has to happen and and in order for them to be taken seriously and for action to happen immediately because what will happen i think otherwise again i don't know is that image will call for delays and more or less start scribbling numbers on the back of envelopes and those numbers could be kind of for people who work so hard and who have um you know under some intense situations it can be really hard if suddenly someone sits you down and it's like look we'll be honest we really don't want to unionize but we understand things are hard for you and we hadn't realized kind of like how much we put on you until this until this um happened and so we're kind of thinking what if we gave you a title we gave you an additional eighty thousand dollars as a bonus this year to make up for the amount of work that you've done previously and then we guarantee that we will give you salary bumps of this much money but we'd really appreciate it if in return you didn't vote to union you didn't do this <laughs> yeah basically you withdraw the claim you say you've changed the mind all you really have to do is call a vote and just respect ask that it be anonymous and then you know, it's it's they just got to divide and conquer. So 
management usually had time is usually i think to their advantage and it, in the sense of the longer it goes on the more chances that they can have to try and get people to lose their nerve the flip side of that re, which is which is why so many of these things get dragged out for so long but i personally think that you know as for a long time the big worries about say uh marvel and dc that those people couldn't form a union either of the creators or even you know the workers the managers the workers were in a slightly better position but the creatives who were scared away from the idea of forming a, a union or a guild were like look you know dc is sitting on 50 years of superman material if we strike at DC, they can just reprint copies of Superman, you know, for the next three years until we break or however long it's going to be. And considering what we're being paid, we can maybe go about four months, you know. And mm -hmm. I think the flip side of that is I really don't think that Image can turn around and be like, well, we're going to miss our deadlines and we're going to be held liable for that according to our contracting terms. We'll just ship 53 issues of Spawn reprints. Like, I don't think that they can do that, you know? So I would think that... <laughs> oh, oh, you say that. <laughs> oh, I do say that. Right, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, and but I, I think that... Um, you know, again, for myself, and as a very cowardly person who has never, um, for the vast majority of my jobs, I've never worked, never really been protected by a union. I've never tried to unionize. Um, but I'm in the field of law, there's lots of times where anyone who sits there is like, yeah, you can't lawyers can't really afford to strike at all like they're not it's not like steel it's not like um it's not like man like america grounds to halt if lawyers aren't working well yeah no i i i mean that the company itself like when you have if you have steel if you have a tangible product you can stockpile a project product and you can have surplus so in theory, if your steelworkers go on strike, you know, like you can still have, you've got shipyards filled with the stuff. You can get it shipped out and you can more or less weather things. But, you know, as my friend put it to me decades ago, like lawyers are working on the tightest of deadlines. They have like, you know, they've, they usually have to get something filed by that day. They can't just, you know, turn in last week's brief you know into someone else's case i mean let's put it this way lawyers do that a lot as it is now but they can't literally do it without anyone helping them so you know so i think that i think that image has by having so much intangible product um, that cannot easily be duplicated or replicated, I would think that they are very, very, like, there's, and I, and again, I'm sure those 10 out of 12 or the 12 out of 12 people know precisely the best and worst window within which 
they could walk off or form a sick out or something like that. And I and I think it's I, whenever like the day before the new shift saga is due. To, to, right, he said the printer. Yeah, exactly. When that stuff comes in, you know, like, and the second day is when the latest issue of Gunslinger Spawn is ready to be laid out and pasted up. Jeff, this is completely a, a aside. I just you just said Gunslinger, so it reminded me. I did not know. Alish Scott is co-writing Gunslinger Spawn. I didn't either until I saw his name on the credits, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's interesting. That's uh, yeah, kind of interesting." I mean, on the one hand, good for Alish. On the other hand, part of me is like, that just makes Gunslinger Spawn look all the more confusing to me. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's like, well, I guess that's the thing that's happening. Yeah, right? So, I don't know. We'll see We'll see how things go. Oh, boy, will yeah, we, we see how things we sh- go. We, sh- we will indeed see how things go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, and you thought we wouldn't have anything to talk about. We've just talked an hour. Yeah, and I apologize if so much of it is through my ass theories. Um, I think this is a good point to mention that we do have show notes at waitwhatpodcast.com if you're hearing this episode, uh, unless it's in the 45 minutes between when I upload the episode and add the show notes. Chances are good the show notes are up for this episode, along with commentator threads. By all means, people who have actual real-world experience, even much wider reading, please show up and talk about... um, you know, how full of crap I am, what we should actually be talking and thinking about. I know, like, literally, like, the comment threads are how not full of crap you are and how full of crap I am. Like, people, go up and just tell Jeff that he's great. This is what, this is what he wants, and this is what we want. Okay, whoa! No, 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 no. Yeah, thank you, thank you. No, 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 no. When we start talking about Supreme Comics by uh, Alan Moore and various <laughs> artists in Wait, half an hour, wrong. I want to. Oh yeah, yeah, I do too. I do too. But so I really want to talk about those. When we talk about those, and and you know, I try and convince Graham, and he makes his like noises of of gentle disapproval. Then, by all means. Pile on in the comments. But right now, honestly, the more information, sort of like with Drock, where we have incredibly knowledgeable listeners drop in and detail so many illuminating historical tidbits and contexts that that that, that fly right by, that will not pass my lips, let's put it that way, while us talking. I similarly would like to think that there are plenty of people listening to this who can weigh in about, uh, you know, what's going on and, and, and where things could go. So, yeah, you know, all of the whole thing, like smart people, please put us to shame because it's always nice to learn things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but yes, I knew that we would spend a certain amount of time talking about it. Maybe, maybe not as much because you've been very generous with letting me ramble on unhinged. But um, that's why we're here, Jeff. <laughs> that's why we're here. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This is this. Is, I forget. Is this how you tell me you didn't get me a birthday present this year? You said you got one, but you weren't going to. Get it, give it to me? Was that how it worked? I forget. <laughs> no, I said that I hadn't got one because everything was so fucked up, but I will get you one. Oh, okay. Okay. I knew it was one of those things. I, I couldn't yeah. remember. It was, it, I literally, 
why not say literally took Jeff the day for his birthday and I was like, I haven't got yet to get, but I will. Everybody should be that fucking chance. And he was like, okay. Yeah. And then he calls me out for it on the podcast. Yeah, I, actually, you know, it was it was it was even worse. I was trying to make it sound like you were like, yeah, I'll get you a birthday present if you just agree with me about the fact that Immortal Hulk doesn't stick the landing. Which I I don't know if I'm going to go with you, Graham. I don't know. I got to oh, say, so yeah, so okay, so let's let's actually pivot into that then. So last time we did a, uh, an episode, I said something along the lines of like, I'm going to reread Immortal Hulk, but only in collected editions and only in print. I can't do it digitally. I was a fucking liar. What not? Uh, apparently, what I meant was I'm going to read the Mortal Hulk, but I'm going to do the like everything that has been collected through Hoopla. There you go. And then I'm going to read single issues for the last like five issues. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, that's apparently what I meant because that's one of the things I've done in the last couple of weeks. Excellent, um, Jeff. I've got to tell you, it's it works so much better when you do binge it. Mm-hmm. It also gets all the more frustrating, for me at least, when it loses its way in the second half. Mm. Because the first half remains super fucking tight. Mm-hmm. Like, half of Mortal Hulk is so great. And even when it loses its way in the second half, mm-hmm. it's never not good. Yes, right? agreed. Mm-hmm. But you you have basically one through line, right? You have all the Green Door stuff for the first half of the series. Right, and then it goes into the the um, Roxon, like mm-hmm. Zeman or whatever his name arc, which is pretty long. It's like a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels like such a misstep in retrospect, hmm. because it feels like it's so disconnected from everything else. Because after that, it goes back to the Green Door stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and I understand. You know, you understand that. It achieves things on a, uh, a sort of uh, larger plot arc mm-hmm. that that needs to happen for the end. You know, it gets rid of Devil Hulk, mm-hmm. which honestly I, I also kind of think is a misstep, but I understand why it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sets up, you know, the leader stuff. It sets up, uh, it sets up a chunk of the of the, the you know the closing. Act for one of them. Oh opinion. yeah, huge, huge. A lot of pieces being but moved it into place. Really for that. does mm-hmm. feel like, and I, and I like, I like the the Zemanu stuff. Zemanu, I'm pronouncing that right. I, you know, Zem- I'm the wrong Zem- person to ask, but probably. Um, I like that arc. I think there's a lot of really good ideas in there, and I think it's a really fun arc. But it just feels so disconnected. Yeah, uh, and I can on see a that. Different level from mm-hmm. the green door stuff because the green door stuff and then you know what to me strikes me as the core of mortal Hulk story is a story about uh trauma and forgiveness right, right. well yeah yeah like, definitely it, a story it, about trauma and then and then thank god the forgiveness really does become such a stronger element as it as it goes on i think yeah but it's there from the start i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that Jackie is is there as an avatar of it, in a lot of ways, yeah. like Jackie's presence, mm-hmm. and that she 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 says that she's like she sort of presents herself as like being um, 
scared of the Hulk, certainly, but like also hating the Hulk. But she never really does, right? Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. so curious and she wants to do so much that she already has forgiven the Hulk before she comes to that realization. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I do think that the forgiveness element is there actually really early. Um, but but the rocks and stuff isn't. It's just it's it's this other story, and it's a fun story, and there's a lot of fun things there about you know cultural mimetic value of things, mm-hmm. and about how memories are constructed, and about the value of of lived experience. Mm-hmm. But that feels literally to the side of everything else happening in the comic. And I think that the fact that that art goes on for like a year really does sort of um, suck the air out out of the bigger story. Mm -hmm. You know, for that matter, you also, when you read it in a wonder, you realize things like the second half basically starts with Bruce Banner slash Devil Hulk declaring war on humanity. And that goes nowhere. Yeah, it gets, it gets, uh, well, yeah. Is it, uh, you read it recently, so I, unfortunately I am forced to agree with you. I feel that it goes in a different place, and maybe part of that place is um, more or less dropping it. Like, I, I, I feel, although I could be wrong, that, you know, if you look at the book as, you know, a 50 issue run um that is supposed to be you know quote unquote one story uh i think that there are ways like you said like that that one year puts things in play for the for the finale but i think also part of it is the finale pulls the book away from resolving the really big questions that I think Ewing feels is super important to ask. And I, and it could be, I don't think it would be. What what are the very big questions? I'm I'm curious now. Well, I, I think, I think that um, the very Essentially, the very large part of it is you have Banner talking about declaring war uh, on the human race. And I think that one of the things that's super powerful and great is seeing how um, the uh, Minotaur guy and Roxon in controlling pop culture change distort and control the message of what's out there even when that message is rebellion they are able to embrace it twist it sure and package it right and package it so i think that ewing has a lot of you know kind of some some really big stuff to say to connect Hulk into what is happening in the world now and was happening in the world then, which is like, what does it really mean to rebel? And for that matter, Ewing, who is, you know, very smart, is more or less pointing at the borders and boundaries of the comic and being like, how much can you believe in a comic espousing rebellion 
that is published by Marvel Comics. You know, like, and I, I, so I think that there's a lot of, um, that's, that is kind of a, a, some really exciting bracing stuff to look at in the sense of being relevant to the world. And I think one could argue that in a, at least in a very loose way, it is, um, thematically in line with certainly what's happening in the first half of the book, which is essentially the idea that there is always a force behind the green door or a force behind the person that says that they're controlling the green door um, that is changing and controlling things there's there's a lot you know that there's a lot the the body horror stuff that runs through immortal hulk um kind of has its uh counterpart in the idea of talking about how much like at a certain point the hulk becomes infected with um basically his father's spirit as i can recall or sort of the icon and and so there is a lot of um i i think i think one of the ways in which ewing ends up moving to the hippy dip ending hippy dippy ending that he does of immortal hulk one thing is like i said he brings up a lot of really big issues which are how how can you rebel against a system that will package your own rebellion against you how how can you subvert a system that is subverting you and i feel that that only goes so far and then it's kind of like oh wait you know, before we can really get around to, to answering that, you know, by the time we get to get past Zenmu, it's sort of like, okay, we're right back into the green door stuff and everything's higher stakes before and everything's fallen apart and everyone's on the run. Um, and so I think Ewing doesn't have to turn around and necessarily, like I said, he may not have an answer or it may be that his answer is a about forgiveness and mercy and compassion and achieving things that that destroying things isn't as important as building things i guess so in other words I mean, it does it not ultimately come out to a place not unlike grant marson's invisibles in a really weird way where it it ultimately argues that it is better than, and this does sound like ridiculously happy, and I apologize to everyone, but that the more uh, not only the more rebellious, but the more productive thing to do is to be kind. Right. And that destruction is only serving other needs. Yeah. But instead, like, if you want to institute change, you you shoot you the most successful change will be from changing people's minds right right well changing people's minds or 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 changing yourself 
like changing yourself yeah, I, I, might be the that's one of the minds yeah i guess that's true <laughs> right yeah so so i so yeah i think i think there's i think there's a big chunk of that that is pretty resonant because i think in a way although i have to sit back down and reread it i think the idea is issue 25 is more or less the story of what happens if the hulk was to win you know uh his war which is essentially he just ends up destroying and smashing more and more things until he more or less snuffs well, out he, he, the last he's also life. become yeah but he's also become the the he's serving the one yes below, the one below, the one below all below, is that yeah yeah the one, one below, below all purposes mm-hmm. who is of course you know spoilers serving the one above all's purposes right right like it's 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 not what what if the Hulk wins as much as what if Hulk literally loses? What if the Hulk does what he's told? Yeah, well, or does what he's told, or basically, yeah, that he. I mean, he he ends up losing if he ends up more or less maneuvering beyond just opposition. You know what I mean? Like, like it's super, I think I would have to reread it the whole run, but I think especially in the end, what begins, what's a very crucial moment is instead of just smashing and smashing and smashing, there is the demand to know why. There's the, there's the need to question your own existence and why you're here rather than just reacting i suppose and so i kind of feel like i don't know for me i think i would have to reread it all what i liked was um you know you mentioned morrison's the invisibles of course i think when we first talked about it i mentioned saga the swamp thing 50 i should point out that there were really strong um resonances of that amazing wackadoo issue of defenders um, like 121 or whatever it was, or 108, or, you know, where basically Satan and God, once again, or, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. the original, you know, hey, they're two sides of the same coin reveal. Um, I think, I think that there's a, there's sort of the same way that I enjoy that Saga of the Swamp thing by Moore and, and his, uh, his group of, uh, artists and co-creators, um, you know, was telling like a large story that also had room for lots of side routes and digressions, which made sense because it was back in the eighties and you weren't really, you know, the idea that Everything he was, was side routes. yeah, yeah, exactly. The idea that he was really writing for the trade, he was he was writing for the run so to speak, like he was going to produce a pretty great run of comics, but it wasn't like the idea of which, so that by the time you got to the end, you're like, oh, I felt like I read one story. But but I also think part of the charm is when you do have, you know, oh, here's, here's, here's the Hulk and things slugging it out, or here's the Hulk you know, having to battle. I mean, again, the rocks and stuff was, to me, I thought was kind of, at the time, again, seemed thematically on point to me. Like, it's like, oh, here is, here, here's, here's the Hulk having gone one round with this subversive evil 
pulling strings to being out in the world fighting a subversive evil pulling strings you know but but at the same time like i said i'm well aware that even at the time it like you said it didn't a lot of things got dropped it kind of just moved on like the arc changed and i can see where that's disappointing but i sort of i mean but again like it never stops being good right right. and so it feels like mm -hmm. such a tight controlled narrative Mm -hmm. until halfway through where it goes weird right (laughs) i mean like it feels like all of a sudden it gets flabby Mm. and then it's like oh no shit wait i'm still got to do this rest of the story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah But, but you know the the idea of you know the mimetic Hulk mm-hmm. and and lots of moments inside that story are some of my favorite parts of Immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. Right, I love the the bit where you basically see the Roxon version of events, mm-hmm. and it's Robert Banner <laughs> declaring war on humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And he calls himself Robert Banner, and, mm-hmm. every, and you know Samson's calling him Bob. It's more or less like. But I know that's not your name. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's lots of really great creepy shit in there. There, like, yeah. it is really strong stuff. The bit where they all realize, basically, that they're not remembering right, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's it's God, I've forgotten her name. The the scientist. Yes. Right. The fact that it's the scientist who realizes it and why she realizes it is incredibly good writing. Yeah. It's just that that it, like ten issues, whatever it is feels like it should it feels like it comes from another uh, comic another great comic <laughs> but another comic okay i i i the gram i i and i get that i just i'm like so you're saying that immortal hulk is basically two great comics in one i kind of am <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm down with it yeah 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 i think it really does hold up on reread if anything i think it's better on reread mm-hmm. i i I don't know. I like I said. I'm not sure it sticks the landing, and in part, that ultimately for me comes down to I'm not sure there's a landing it could have stuck that I would have been utterly satisfied with. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, I mean, I, I, I think there's. I I hold the the first two years of that book in such high esteem mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I think any attempt to tie that off that doesn't end with the end of the Hulk, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like is is inherently disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and he can't end the Hulk. That's right. literally impossible. He does not have that opportunity. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's when I say it doesn't stick landing. It's really because because it, you know, it almost can't. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I I think for my, for my expectations, right? right. I, don't, I don't know what the end of the story I want is. Right. But I also feel like if whatever it is does not end with and next month like join us for a new Hulk comic right well you and know? I yeah exactly I think for myself one of the things I appreciate about that last issue is at a certain point um and and this could be because I think Ewing is just such an unbelievably smart writer is at a certain point issue 50 starts feeling more like he starts swapping out what you think you want for what you really need, I suppose. You know, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really big 
Hulk smash moments and it's interesting reading it in digital because it looks like there's stuff that's supposed to be like quadruple fold out you sure, know right page spreads and things like that that just aren't going to be conveyed in digital in 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 quite the same way um but i i think i think that overall again sort of like saga of swamp thing number 50 which wherein swamp thing goes to you know face the nature of evil and and literally ends up that it's been built up over the course of the entire american gothic you know 12 issues or whatever and it ends up being like oh i i just saw i just saw a hand wow okay great thanks you know like there's kind of just there's a little bit of there's i don't feel like there's much more like i feel like ewing's trying to be like okay here's something even bigger and bigger and bigger but but at a certain point we have to put the smashing aside and i'm going to talk about what we really need to talk about which which is a which is about healing and 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 the idea about the way to heal from trauma is to forgive which is super crucial and and is a piece of the narrative that i feel i i think to me is part of why i want to sit down and reread that because i feel like that is a piece that was present throughout so much of the run but not really spoken aloud you know and so i think no but but i i like i do i i would i would very definitely support you rereading the entire run because i do think it's threaded in earlier than you're giving it credit for well i I, yes i suppose that's right i i suppose i i believe you i i guess part of me is like no i think it's threaded in there from the beginning i just think that maybe it's not said out loud i think it becomes super obvious if you were to go back to reread it and this is where you jump in and go well actually jeff i'm talking about the panel in issue six where he says so yeah so i'll (laughs) I'll reread it and check it out but yes i'm so glad you i'm so glad you read it graham I'm. You know. I, I'm so glad I read. It. I, I very, very much enjoyed it. I, I really, genuinely got a lot from it. That um, is fabulous. And, and and also, I, and I, you know, it it's it led me to reread a bunch of other things, like in runs. Hmm. You know, actually, really commit things, which is which has been a really fulfilling way to read comics. And it sounds like a strange thing to say, but like it's helped me enjoy comics as reading for pleasure again. Which is not a small thing. That's really great. Um, so, no, very much so. Do you um, want to talk so about? Finished, yeah, sorry. Well, I just finished Die, mm-hmm. the the Kieran Gillen thing, mm. um, which is is uh, it's something that I admire more than I like, and that's very much my fault <laughs> because well, no, because Die is ultimately a comic about things that I don't really have interest in, right. Which I'm is to say, like role playing games. Game. Yeah, yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. a role playing game person. I'm not a fancy person. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, well, this is very well done for what it is. But <laughs> what right. it is is rooted in, like, you know, early on in in God, I think it's the first trade, even. Like, mm-hmm. there's a Tolkien issue, mm. right? And he's clearly writing about Tolkien, and I, 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 I am smart enough to acknowledge that and like see that. Do I fully understand what he's writing about? No. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, man, I bet if this was my thing, I'd really like it. Right. 
you know what I mean? And and that that was how that was how I felt about a lot of it, which was a little bit frustrating because I had just you know like I told you read Gillen's Eternals recently and was like, oh shit, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, it, he's really his Eternals really works for me. Mm-hmm. I want to read this other thing that he's writing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like people have said really good things about it, and also it had just finished, so it was again something I could read the full run of. So it's completely. Like, I didn't realize that he yeah, he wrapped it up. Just finished. Oh. Yeah, hmm. it's just finished. It's only like twenty issues long, Jeff. It's, it's short. Hmm. Um, but I was like, yeah, okay, great, I can get. And instead, I, I spent you know a lot of the time just being like, yeah. So I'm sure if I'd like this thing, I'd like this thing. <laughs> Which right. is, you know, kind of yeah. shame. Like, yeah. I, I I can recognize that this is skillfully done. However, <laughs> right, I don't fully understand what it is skillfully doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so it was it was through no fault of its own and every fault of mine a frustrating experience. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um. And I, I realized after doing both those, I was like, I really like Rorschach and Strange Adventures, and I haven't done like a proper reread of them. Mm. And I should like more recently, I've read reread like all of Doomsday Clock. Why? I don't know. Maybe I hate myself. But I didn't <laughs> a full reread of like Rorschach, a comic I liked. Yeah. You know. Yeah. To be fair, I did reread like the last ten issues before issue eleven. So like I've you know. I, I, I feel that I've, I I feel like that's a bit too early. Strange Adventures, I should definitely reread. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, and when I did the Rorschach reread with those ten issues, I got a lot more out of it. Like not waiting a month in between. Mm. Like it, it read like something that should be read in a one-er. Oh, that's or at least interesting. In, in, a short, in a brief period, it did mm. not read like something. Necessarily. To, to be fair, Immortal Hulk does as well. I think there's details in Immortal Hulk. I genuinely miss reading it month to month. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then reading it, you know, basically in one sitting or at least a trade. I, I read like a couple of trades a night. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I did have, I did see the connections in ways that I hadn't. Hmm. Um, weirdly enough, something else I've read recently is uh, Roy of the Rovers. Oh, wow. There's, the yeah. of the soccer comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, literally because I have the 2000 AD app with, with the material on it, and it's Rob Williams, and I like Rob Williams. And I really liked it. That's fabulous. It, it's a fun YA comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's funny is I liked it so much, I went back to read some of the best of the original run of Riot Rovers material. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Boy, um, a that stuff hasn't aged well. B, my God, reading those comics when they were coming out must have been the most frustrating experience because Jeff Roy of the Rovers lasted two pages an issue. Oh God, that is rough. Oof. So like one soccer game lasts like seventeen chapters. Oh man, um, but it's two pages an issue, which is nuts, right? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. genuinely surprising. Um, but the the reboot. It made me appreciate the reboot all the more because the choices they made in the reboot are really smart when you realize what the source material is. Mm. In some in some parts, it was characters I thought were original for the reboot mm. come from the original version. Oh wow! But in the original version, you know, they are 
appalling cliches. Like, they're mm. terrible stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the reboot, they're they're given, you know, a character. <laughs> Wait, that you is... Know? That is a a, a, a groundbreaking uh, difference. It is true. Um, something else I've not reread, like the whole, I've not you know read the entire run of, but I've been reading for fun. Is I've been revisiting old Strontium Dog comics, and Jeff. Yes. Jeff. Uh, I'm really tempted to say we have to do an issue of Drock, an episode of Drock that is just Strontium Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because it's Wagner and Grant and Iscara, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But also. There are times where that comic is really just silly, dumb fun in a way that almost dread doesn't get to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so there, there's famously a, a storyline where they go back in time to collect the bounty on Adolf Hitler, right? Because they're they're time traveling bounty hunters. That's the setup of Strontium Duck. All the mutants in in the future. Uh, can only get they're so shunned by society they can only get jobs as bounty hunters they're intergalactic bounty hunters but they can also go through time because they can it's a you know a kid superhero comic right um so there's one where they go back to get a bounty on, on adolf hitler and it's called like the shinkle grouper job or something like that because <laughs> it's, it's got a code name <laughs> and it's like arnold Sh- shinkle grouper or something um and it's great because it 100 percent doesn't treat hitler with any respect one for way of putting it, it's literally the fabulous. Like, you, know, the, you know the Hitler has only got one ball song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a comic version of that for real. Wow. It's like you know, literally. There's a uh, so the, the original setup for the comic is there's Johnny Alpha and he's like Strontium Dog of the title. Well, they're all Strontium Dogs. That's the names given to the the quote unquote search and destroy agents that they are. I see. Um, but Johnny's the main character and he's like you know the handsome rebellious one. He, he's got laser eyes they can see the past and blah 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 and all that stuff but his sidekick is uh, Wolf Sternhammer mm-hmm. who is a viking who has accidentally been brought to the future has no powers but he does have a big hammer <laughs> that's it <laughs> right? and and he calls everyone cucumber which is one of my favourite things about Wolf also he says dare instead of the so mm. he's like dare cucumber and then he puts something with the hammer again Great stuff. <laughs> Sounds fabulous, I have to say. And, yeah. so, and so literally, he goes back and he's like so pissed off with Hitler's voice, he just keeps stuffing socks in his mouth so he can't talk. <laughs> like, that's a running joke. <laughs> he hates the sound of Hitler's voice, so he just keeps stuffing socks in his mouth. Wow. Um, so, I'm, so anyway, that's like the early things. And then I was reading one a later volume, and it introduces Durham Red, who's a sexy femme fatale vampire, and she can't be trusted. Da, 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 da. Uh, and she's, we, we've got to go like and get this this bounty, Johnny, you and me. You're the only one that I trust, and it's really important. And he's like, who's the bounty on? It's on Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Published in like 84 or something. Oh, that's great. And it's literally Wagner and Grant going, well, Ronald Reagan's an idiot. And he's obsessed with calling Nancy mommy. Like, the end. Right. <laughs> that's our that's our Ronald Reagan. And so he gets kidnapped by aliens and things in the future, but he's convinced they're Russian. Mm. Mm. And so he's just like, I don't know what Garby's up to with you guys, but you are sure convincing in that makeup. Oh, and like, man. Gonna, right, shit. He's like, where's mommy? <laughs> it's 
it's so wonderfully like disrespectful to Reagan. <laughs> I fucking love it. And, like he drops references to bedtime for Bonzo mm, and how mm-hmm. he won Scourge like that. It's the weirdest comic. That's and I was great. like, this is what Jeff should read. Yeah, no kidding. This, this is what Jeff should be reading right now. That sounds fabulous. Anyway, I've talked too much about what I'm reading. Jeff, what are you reading? Uh, you know, you didn't talk that long at all. I mean, I honestly, you... No, 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 no. Well, I mean, we talked I'm about Hulk, but book then book you were kind of like, yes, my other reads have been... I'm like, wow, he's really on a tear. And for you, you're like seven minutes later, you're like, okay. Yeah, I've also, yeah, I've also uh, been rereading Monsieur Jean by um, Dupi and Barbaran. What are their actual names? Uh, oh, good. It would be nice if the, the cover of this actually had their names on it, but it doesn't. Help me here, inside. It's so funny. I'm like... Love of God. Does the really not, not have their full names anywhere? Yeah, isn't it just Dupuy and Berberian or something like it, that? It's, Maybe that's it's what they go by. Philippe Dupuy and Charles Berberan. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, and, um, and that shit's great. Mm. That's something else I've been like dipping into on and off and, and you know when my brain allows and i really like that stuff it, it's i actually started rereading of all things because chloe said something the other day about i wish there was more comics like alec like eddie campbell's alec i was gonna say i was actually going to to sort of mention alec because i feel like alec is the and i, I haven't i'm trying to think if i've actually read any complete stuff i think i've read some Monsieur Jean shorts or something like that, or excerpts yeah, maybe it, in the year's best comics or something. Yeah, it it was in there and it was in um, uh, John and Quarterly did a, like an anthology for a while, and it was, right. it was in a couple of volumes of that. So right, so so I think those are the places where I've seen it, and sort of for a lack of a better term, kind of fictional nonfiction comics or fictional slice of life comics, which I think is. You know, uh, as opposed to for such a long time and such a wide swath, um, and and I think still, uh, slice of life comics are so frequently autobio and not um, and not you know fictional creations. Um, it's part of what Kevin Hazinka's stuff too, actually. Yeah, me, yeah. Is but, also but I feel like Hazinka's stuff is more uh, existential. For one of better way of putting it, mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. I feel that Alec and and Monsieur Jean are are both both find humor in like human interaction and how contradictory and and self sabotaging we can be. Mm-hmm. Whereas his anger is literally like, but what if time itself is an illusion? Sometimes uh, I look at a bird and then I have a twelve page sequence of you know abstracted imagery, which again. I love, I love the Hizenga stuff to pieces. I think. Oh, I do nice. too. But yeah, yeah, it's a very different it, thing. It, it yeah. feels like a very different thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it connects to me at it, when it's at its most human. But I would, I would probably rank that as second or third of its goals in terms of what it's trying to do. I guess yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah, I think that's actually a really good distinction. Um, so, so I think you sort of described a little bit. It's it's slice of life stories of uh, yeah, human so interaction. Is a is a French mm-hmm. writer and translator, uh, and it's essentially his life. 
so I, I've been dipping into Get a Life again, which is him as like a, a I think he's thirty or in his late twenties, and he's constantly sort of meeting and fucking up his deadlines while similarly failing to find love and feeling nostalgic for like the past relationships he's had and dealing with his friends who are in new stages in their relationships and then the the sort of like interpersonal dramas of of those mm-hmm. um and and it is very focused it is very focused on small stuff mm-hmm. um it's the, the writing is smart and you know broad i think it's a, a fair way to put it but the artwork in particular is just fucking lovely mm. It, mm. the artwork is is so so beautiful and sharp uh it's it's a weird way of describing this mm-hmm. but if you can imagine ryan hughes redrawing Hergé's tintin wow that's how i describe the artwork in get a life mm. mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I, I think I, I think it's it's a fun read, but also it's a beautiful look. Mm. Mm. That's fabulous. That sounds. Um, yeah, I you know I think I want to say that I've got some Monsieur Jean book that Jean book that I picked up uh, digitally on sale at some point because I was like, oh, this stuff's great, and then I haven't read it, so maybe I should. No, you should. It's it's, it's yeah. really fun. It's really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I, I think if I were talking about the stuff that I have read, um, I think I'm going to try and focus on the fact that I did sit down and read because I kind of had had an itch for it, and I kind of had this feeling of oh shit i think i still have the collection somewhere and then all but literally stumbled across uh, them the uh, supreme story of the year and supreme the return which checker books issued in two uh trade paperbacks way back when um and then yeah more or less entirely went out of print annoyed at them Yes, well, I, Cause, which cause is because they're, well, they're scanned from the comics, clearly, like, and they've not really done much touch up. Yeah, they're scanned from the comics. There's no touch up, and and they're printed. They they look like they've been printed on wax paper. It's it is a profoundly um, kind of uniquely horrible form of collections. All the more so because. Um, it's kind of apparent that the guy publishing them was doing it as a labor of love, you know? Um, there were a couple of issues of Supreme uh, that came out digitally on Comixology. Those are have not been for sale for a super long time. And I don't honestly know. I think they might have only been the first two or three issues. Um, and then... You know, like I said, I don't. You can't find them if you're searching on Comicsology. So if you didn't buy them, so well, I think the, the rights rights of Supreme right now are kind of fucked up, aren't they? Oh, I'm sure they are. It's it's just it's kind of a well. I would think that it would be kind of a profound mess because, of course, Liefeld presumably once it came out that he had sold most of the rights to his stuff to an outside dude whose name I can't remember. Who's kind of like, yep, that's me. <laughs> I got it all, suckers. Um, and and additionally, because Supreme was written within the rubric of Image Comics, like 
there's Liefeld's characters in there. There's uh, Eric Larson's Mighty Man pops up in there a lot. Um, there's just a whole whole slew. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that leads in, you know, leads into the Judgment Day miniseries and leads out. Yes. Yeah. So, Graham, I want to. I want to. I would be curious before I. I had expected that this would be the section in which we would potentially have a knockdown dragout fight because I have. Why? Because <laughs> you have, as far as I, my only real framework for you in Supreme is a Alan Moore, of which um, you know you run hot and cold or which is to say bitchy or indifferent. Uh, and <laughs> I think, I think that there is, there's also one of the earliest pieces I think I read from you, maybe even before I, you and I had met, uh, was a piece that ran on broken frontier where you talked about yeah. Yeah, reading some issues of Supreme while sick uh, and, and or reading some reprint, stories and realizing that more in the case of a, a particular flashback story that was a team up of young Supreme and professor Knight was like really heavily cribbed from a similar yes, yeah, yeah. story. Like, like yeah. heavily cribbed is putting it politely. It was basically ripped off, basically ripped off. Yeah. So, my gist was basically that I figured if nothing else, Supreme would fall under the bitchiest of the bitchy for you. And at best, I could hope for maybe indifference, which I was going to inveigle against. But let me ask you, maybe I'm wrong. Are you are you a Honestly, fan? Indifference is probably fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very much of their time. Mm-hmm. Both in terms of, you know, some of the art choices are, you know, very mid-1990s. <laughs> oh. Uh, and also, like, it's very much uh, Moore's weird 1990s superhero stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, it's it's – he's not quite gone to retro, but it's also not quite revisionist. He's trying mm-hmm. to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fine. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do want to mention, because you mentioned the art, do you remember who drew like the first four issues? Isn't it Joe Bennett? It's Joe Bennett. Yeah, it's really shocking being like, holy shit, like Immortal Hulk and Supreme both drawn by this guy. And let me tell you, his art on Supreme is... It's terrible. Awful. Fucking... No, you are not. You are perhaps being generous. It is really bad. It's a shame. In fact, one of the things that is the irony, and again, one could argue that it is a uh, self-inflicted wound, is the story, the reports were that Alan Moore agreed to write Supreme with the understanding that essentially Rob Liefeld paid him a huge amount of money and upfront. Like essentially he didn't get paid upon delivery of the, of his script. He got paid before the delivery of his script. And again, the rumors that I heard was it was a pretty high amount of money um, back in those days, or sadly, thanks to the state of the comics market still today. But 
consequently, the artists that you get, you know, are, with the exception of an exceptionally lovely set of issues by Chris Sprouse. I was going to say, Chris Sprouse's issues are lovely. Gorgeous. I yeah. reading them and just being like, oh, thank God we've got good art. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ian Churchill, and of course you've got Rick Veach doing doing the flashbacks. So the flashback stuff is always pretty solid. Again, Veach is always rough because there's there's but something. Am, that's... am I mis- am I misremembering that Supreme? Everyone thought was Liefeld doing a Superman parody, and then when Moore got it, he like one hundred percent made it into Superman parody. Like he basically jettisoned Liefeld's continuity, and was right. then like, but basically, what if he was? You know Clark Kent, and he introduced like another. He introduced like Luther, but he's he's called like something like Darius Dax. Yeah, Darius Dax. Yeah, yeah. But like he he he, you know, leans really heavily into the Superman stuff that that Liefeld ironically hadn't. Like he he turns the book into almost you know as if he had not read any previous Supreme, which you know maybe he hadn't. But he was like, "Oh, this is the Superman book. Okay, right. I can do. I like. I remember Superman from when I was a kid, and then writes that book instead." Yeah. No. It, right. Exactly. You know, Supreme is uh, is a is an extreme a TM version of Superman, and I admit I had not read any of the issues before Moore, and then when Moore comes in, um, he is in a good place because apparently Supreme has just had an adventure involving essentially a fake earth and duplicates and probably someone else kind of trying to do a, you know, Hey, here's my gentle way of pointing out that Supreme is a Superman analog and Alan Moore being like, ah, yeah, you know, (laughs) let's just, let's not do anything gentle with this. Let's go in with both hands. Like, you say parody, I would say that, yeah, he transforms it from a parody to a pastiche. And then whether or not I think your enjoyment moves, how how great your enjoyment is, is I think perhaps in a way how much you appreciate I think what he's doing, I suppose, like, I think what I find fascinating about Supreme, I mean, I enjoyed it at the time, and then I sat down and reread it, and the art was ghastly, but it still has lots of stuff that I really love. Like, I feel like it is such um, Moore's love letter to Silver Age Superman, and I think in a weird way, it's, I mean... A, it's a little bit of more in what I would say is his apologist mode, you know? Like, he's very much... um, I'm sorry for Watchmen, you guys. Yeah, basically. I'm sorry for Watchmen. I'm sorry for whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. I'm sorry that everyone... I'm sorry for the killing joke. I'm kind of sorry that in getting a chance to write these characters in a way that was quote unquote real or what felt real to me as a 20 something year old, basically threw the entire industry into a tailspin of grim and gritty and awful and terrible. Like he never makes passes up an attempt to kind of 
um, crap on the the 80s and to an extent the 70s as well you know he the whole gist is you may or may not remember is supreme the very first issue moore's issue of supreme is um after visiting this false earth he comes back to uh does he come back to an earth or he is basically the various a bunch of Supremes come and gather and take him to the Suprematon, or I think it's called the Suprematon, or Supremation, maybe, that is the dim- the dimension where they had been, um, when they're written out of continuity, they pop up in limbo. They and everything tied to them are popped up in limbo. And as Super- Supreme has been revised over the years his various iterations have popped up yeah there's various versions of them yeah along with his imaginary iterations and and once uh one one group essentially they end up with enough of them and enough materials that they are able to create a a perfect city and it's ruled over by king supreme who is the the silver age supreme who's considered the best incarnation essentially and more true to his word like the fact that this opens up and is told in the in the the voice of an amazing stellar three-part novel you know or novel in three parts he takes the silver age superman structure and continues to play with that and run with that as the 12 parts of the story of the year um unfold and the idea of course was to have them uh, culminate in an 80 page giant that uh, I think instead <laughs> Leefield and crew, including editor Eric Stevenson, um, did was they published it in, in three uh, parts, like three issues that came out at once 52, 52A, and 52B. Wow. Yeah, really sort of confusingly. Um, they more basically lays the groundwork for the this entire um essentially he fills in 60 plus years 70 plus years of supreme's continuity and populates it with you know any number of analogs complete to you know a fully fleshed out version of of the justice league of america that's the allied supermen i think uh, there's you it's usa i think right maybe anyway <laughs> so great that i read this recently and i'm my memories the are allies. already so yes the allies is they're called um and it's all just you know it's really i think what i find Again, what I find fascinating, it's more in apologist mode. It is more kind of taking, to me, it's amazing how much of what he then goes on to do with America's Best Comics after this is is kind of taking everything that he's doing in Supreme and more or less... Um, like, refracting it through a prism. So... Yeah, yeah. Inst- well, I mean, he, it wasn't just because it wasn't Supreme, right? Or it wasn't only Supreme because he, he didn't Moore end up doing a lot of, oh, God, awesome comics. Yeah. Like another failed relaunch because right. he was going to do a relaunch of Young Blood and there was going to be a relaunch of Glory. Right. And weirdly enough, I remember this because uh, 
with what can only be described as an eye to something that DC would do 20 years later, they published Moore's proposals. Yes, right. After Moore dropped off the project, they just published his proposals outright. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look at what he came up with. <laughs> yeah, right. Wouldn't this have been amazing? I yep. buying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember buying that and being like, well, these are interesting proposals. But by that point, he was already doing America's Best Comics, I think. Yeah, I, he, I think there was the there were like four or five or maybe six issues of young blood published and he had scripted out for more uh and then there was glory which i think they got one issue in the can that they didn't publish until much later and and like you said it was more or less after he moved on to america's best comics and that was getting a certain amount of um attention paid to it that unsurprisingly Liefeld's well like you know well I own this let me at least make some of the money off of this because God knows I paid that Brit a ton of money um but but yeah I think I think there's sort of the the various bits and pieces that you see in Tom Strong in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with its you know Promethea and even the uh, um, whatever tomorrow stories or whatever it was called the anthology like yes. all, all of that gets kind of jammed into supreme into one kind of hyper dense um experience and uh like i said i really enjoyed reading it but it's it's fascinating looking especially i think reading story of the year and being like oh you know this is i mean again the art is abominably bad for so much of it but it's kind of more doing all-star superman back in the 90s you know and and it's interesting because of course he he pulls his for people who never read the series or who don't necessarily remember, instead of making um, Supreme's secret identity be a comic book, uh, a newspaper reporter, he's a comic book artist who works at Dazzle Comics. Uh, and the Lois Lane is the comic book scripter, and the Jimmy Olsen is, character is essentially a, a ridiculously pretentious British comic writer. And more um, takes some pretty big swipes at this guy as what looks like some on the surface as some um, fun poking poking fun at himself, but really seems like it could well be an incredibly bitchy diss on Grant Morrison. Um, oh. And. Yeah, I know, right? Like, hardly no. surprising. I know. I'll How shocking. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it is, it's, it is kind of interesting. Because to me, I do think that there's a lot of stuff where... I don't remember where it was, but it, it if you like seeing books that are in conversation with one another, even if it's a very passive-aggressive conversation, um, reading Supreme Story of the Year, and maybe I will uh, grab a piece of ass, as DC should market it, and sit down with All-Star Superman. Um, 
God, that should be the slogan. Uh, and 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 or a little bit of the there there's a point where more i suspect it kind of is at one point he he himself mirrors some of the comments that morrison goes on to make in pax americana about essentially the 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 inherent self-defeating nature of formalism i suppose um but now, of course, probably because I was reading the comic high, I'm like, I don't remember when that was exactly. If that was in, and then of course there's other shit that's just like, you mentioned the the Ronald Reagan stuff. There's there's a sequence in which um, some of this stuff's just it's 20 years later, and it's like, God, we're still making we're still making jokes about. Um, how popular Friends is and how unlikable Hillary Clinton is. You know what I mean? So it's really kind of interesting to read parts of, of these two trades. And here's more doing, admittedly, some really broad uh, characterizations of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton that would not be... Um, the very Wagner Grant, I guess, is a way of saying it. Except I think you would take issue with that because you'd be like, no, no, Wagner and Grant are actually funny. But I, I will say that it's <laughs> incredibly broad. I found it amusing. I suspect you would not necessarily. I, or, I, I find Moore's comedy uh, variable, shall we say. Yeah. And some of his stuff is pretty broad. Like some of it's goofy. There's but there's also some parts I, I, that I get like the, very I like funny. More than like the, the social satire. Mm. Mm. That makes sense. I, I yeah. feel like his social satire stuff is is um it's the idea it always strikes me as someone who read like, you know, the early issues of Mad. Mm-hmm. And like, well this is what all comedy writing in comics should be and that's it. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. and so like when he gets silly, mm-hmm. great, you know. Mm-hmm. But when it's like you know, the villain of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is Harry Potter. It's like oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, but I had to switch myself off because I sneezed. But yeah, it's um yeah. I I I find I find I he is not someone that I would think of as a funny writer, mm. and so when. He, you know, he does broad comedy. Like if it's D.R. and Quinch, I think D.R. and Quinch is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I think, of, you know, I think of all the comedy stuff in in the ABC's line to be kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel, uh, I feel that if nothing else, I feel like Alan Moore was such an early pioneer of the dad joke. I guess, and I think that there is. Um, I think there's just so much in Supreme where some of his stuff is just so broad and winky and like, ah, you get it? Like, you know, he ah, throws in a yeah. couple of friends jokes that I'm kind of like, uh, I appreciate that they're in there. They're not the best. They're not the, necessarily the best jokes in there. You know what I mean? Like, but, but there's, a, but there's a lot in there. There's enough in there that sort of, it just, it really, I think, and this might be part of it. Is is like more is doing a ton of work in the supreme stuff, but it also seems like he's not 
it's not as much of the later, more I've got something to prove kind of way, I suppose. It's sort of a little bit of his... You know how uh, Morrison will give interviews and kind of talk about how much they enjoy um, just kind of create, you know, updating new characters or coming up with new potentials, uh, uh, avenues for exploration. Like I think we were talking Mm -hmm. about this with Superman and the authority. Um, And you can really see more having a lot of fun with, that of like oh i'm gonna fill in this all this stuff and then i'm gonna have one little throwaway reference that i'm later gonna turn into you know a flashback three issues down the road and then another three issues down the road we're gonna meet the modern version of that character that comes back and so there's kind of that um you know, I mentioned the Potemkin Village earlier in in while talking about the comic marketplace. But, you know, his attempt of creating something that fills the, the feeling of reading a textured superhero universe with sort of its boundless horizons while also having all of that stuff being created on the fly which is why it seems very unsurprising when you know he occasionally stoops to just flat out um uh rip off something as opposed to pastiche it i suppose weirdly i don't remember reading that story in the collection and i would love to go back and find it because i knew the one that you were talking about on your broken frontier article way back hey is that yeah. Sorry. Are, is say? that still are are those aren't up? Are they? Is that like so have, much of I, the internet? I, I think that's Jeff. Like you're talking like 15 years ago now. I, that stuff's gone. That stuff's lost the ages, but then some. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I don't. That's that's one less link on the show notes. So I mean, I guess that's kind of good. But I kid. I'm actually going to see if I can find it in the Wayback Machine um, and and see if it's been archived somewhere. And if so, I'll link to it. But um, I'll also have to see if I can find that story because I had that moment of like, wouldn't it be great if they just sort of pulled that story out because, you know, it was such a ripoff? Because looking at some of the various no, other I'm things. Sure, fe- Here's the thing. I'm fairly sure that that story isn't one of those collections. That's how I read Supreme. Sure. Yeah. I, and, and that's it. I'm sure it is. I just, I, you know, it was probably some point where I was paying attention to something else or I got distracted or like I said, I wasn't I wasn't high for all of it because it was a lot of trades. Graham, trade paperbacks are a lot of fucking work, man. I gotta tell you, as someone who's been reading digital, <laughs> admittedly I'm a lazy son of a bitch but I, I was like, I gotta bookmark this because, you know, I'm not gonna fold pages over but I'm so used to just picking up my iPad, opening it up and then opening whatever, like the hardest thing is remembering what app right something is. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And this one, especially where it collects 12 issues, I was like, motherfucker flipping back and forth and again that paper oh that paper is so bad um terrible but again that's the only collections ever had and i can't see it getting collected again anytime soon who even owns supreme now well that's what i'm saying like i would expect it's the guy who bought all of liefeld's stuff 
But I mean, you know. But but Liefeld didn't sell all of his stuff. Is the weird thing. Yeah, but he sold most of it. Like he kept. No, he sold he like kept half of things. it. It's the weird thing. Is it half? I thought it was something like three quarters. Like he managed to keep. I don't know something dumb. You know. He's he's got um I think profit he still owns profit. That's it, right? Where I was like, huh? But it makes uh, which and, and at bloods, the time made sense. Bloods. Oh God. Oh, Blood his Strike? is that the name of the team? Is is it? Is yeah. it? Was that the okay? What's the name of his faux Deadpool character? Wasn't that Blood something? Yeah, but they were all Blood something, weren't they? Well, of course. I mean, were they supposed to be? Was that his thing? See, like no, I'm the blood that guy. Wasn't his thing, but like that was like, yeah, that was his accidental thing. <laughs> blood simple. Um, everyone remembers <laughs> yeah, Rob Liefeld's. Everyone remembers. His, let's see, uh, Bloodstrike, Glory, Prophets, and Evangeline. Those are the ones that he kept. Uh, I'm trying to find out what he kept. Oh God, what did? Does it even say what he sold? I'm trying to even find. <laughs> Oh, God. Dear listeners, please don't blame us. Blame the current state of comics journalism, which I don't think was in a particularly strong or healthy place ever, but not in a particularly, even less so, when it was announced that uh, it came out that um, some guy, who may or may not have been the oh, fight the guy oh who boy. tried to start a fight with Abhe way back when. Yes? You found it? Jade, Bloodstrike, Cybridge, Rejects, Blood Wolf, and Kaboom. He does not own Youngblood, Supreme, Glory, or Prophet. Oh, of course. He sold off all the stuff that had value because that's all he sold off all like the, first wave of, well, the first wave of image stuff. Right, right. Oof. Wow. Well, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it could happen, but again, part of me is like, I could I could see someone like Eric Larson being like, nah, not if you want to use any of my characters. Or you mean um, Eric Larson did the final issue of the Alan Moore run and then his own relaunch immediately afterwards. Oh, Do you yeah, remember that's that? right. No. I remember it. I wasn't going to pick it up. Or wait, did I pick up that Alan Moore? I'm issue? sure you picked up the Alan Moore's. I'll be stunned if you didn't. I I also would I'd be, be stunned. shocked if you didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All I remember is. How hilarious the following issue was! Mm-hmm. For for people who don't know, so Alan Moore takes over Supreme and basically is like everything you knew is wrong. Here's my like you know retro Silver Age Superman stories, and then years later, like 2012 or something, yeah, um, Life uh, Life has the rights again and takes it to Image, and Eric Larson draws the last Moore story, which he had scripted like you know at that point. 15 years ago or something yeah. um, and then the next issue takes over Friday an artist and starts it with a story that literally kills off or depowers everyone from the Moor run and wow. brings back the original Life Elf Supreme <laughs> like did you, not, did you read it or not? I mean this is it, I knew where it was so, going because so, so, I feel so like so they Life talked Elf, about it like, in advance mm-hmm. yeah so Moore sets up like you know there's the supremacy or whatever it's called right like mm-hmm. you talk about mm-hmm. it, where all, there's all these different Supremes right. and so the first Larson issue is uh, the, the Lex Luthor villain uh, Darius Dax, Darius Dax. Mm-hmm. the multiverse of Darius Dax attacks the supremacy or whatever it's called yeah and kills most of them mm-hmm. and the remaining supremes are like we're not 
badass enough to take care of this. We have to get the one guy who is. And it turns out they've locked up the Rob Liefeld Supreme. Wow. And they unlock him, and he literally just slaughters everyone. And it's then like, that's right, I've saved your asses. And as a thank you, I've taken away your powers too. Ha! Now I'm the only Supreme. That's the first issue. It's amazing. Wow. Wow, it's it's genuine, and like there's a there's a letter from Le, uh, from Larson at the end of it, and it's the most hilarious bullshit because he's like, Alan Moore reinvented Supreme entirely when he took over, and out of respect for Alan, I thought I'd do the same when I took over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. No, you literally were just like, fuck that shit. I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I sort of, I I got to admit, like with with a lot of Eric Larson sort of like I kind of admire the the moxie which apparently is code for petulance but I mean I sort of I, I sort of enjoy the ballsiness of it but I at the same time I was like I'm not I'm not reading this you know well, I, so let me I tell you uh, along similar lines what I have read recently of mm-hmm. recent comics and issue one Holy God, I I think I almost got that on Hoopla, but I was like, no, because I've read previous issues of Ant, so... Oh, no, but this, this is the new Eric Larson reboot. Wow. Because Eric Larson bought Ant from the original creator. Really? You know, which is oh, I fine. didn't realize that. Like, uh-huh. fine. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he starts the reboot, and it's, it's just nuts. It's mm-hmm. nuts. Eric Larson has literally become a guy who I think is utterly writing to his fetishes. Mm -hmm. And his fetishes are like 1970s Marvel, cartoonishly large breasts. (laughs) Like, like, not even large, cartoonishly unrealistic breasts. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about literally, you know, beach balls stapled to the front of a woman's body. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And to the point where... Ant in this story is like a kid who gets like treated with some compound and gets turned into Ant. But mm-hmm. she's a kid, Jeff, who gets oh, treated dear. with this compound and then all of a sudden she has these enormous breasts. Wow. Because of course she does. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and like it's, there's some bullshit science reason why like it's Ant-like. Like she once invented a superhero called Ant when she was even younger. Mm-hmm. And then like when Dad died, it brought back the trauma or some some wackiness like that. Wow. Um, what's great is again it, the last ish, the the last page of the book is like a, a letter from Larson. Mm-hmm. He's like, Let me tell you, I read Ants way back when and I thought there was a lot of great ideas, but you know, people just didn't do it right and I was like, mm, if I've ever got the chance, I'm gonna do Ant right. Then about the character this is why you're getting ants as it's always meant to be. And it's like, no, because this is incoherent bullshit. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe he had, maybe kind of like Alan Moore, he kind of had some grudge against, uh, or, you know, just kind of had some sort of petulant proof to, to kind of mark his territory. I don't know. That's, uh, as someone who remembers reading the original ant, I, I think I kind of know what he's talking about in a way, but I mean, it was Ant. Ant is always amazing because it's that weird mix of like, I, I mean, you know, let's put it this way. The big art, uh, 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 
unrealistic breasts were part of the character's first run, as you know. I think it is just not. Yes. No, yeah. No. No. It, it, it was the... not just. It was not yeah. only uh, Eric Larson. I know that. I remember yeah. very clearly. That <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. I just awesome. wanted to make sure. Yeah. 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 Um, Graham, we've run two, over two hours, and the fact that we are talking about Eric Larson's issue of Ant, to me, is such a clear sign that we should have stopped talking ten minutes ago. So It's true. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up now, because I'm going to say it's going to be show notes for this episode. Jeff's already said this, like, way back, like, an hour ago. Uh, it's going to be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M, at G-R-A, uh, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. I'm going to sneeze. I keep sneezing. I'm sorry, everyone. Um... Anyway, I'm I'm done with my bit. Jeff, talk about the Patreon while I sneeze again. Okay. Are you going to do it on air? You're not. You muted yourself. No, I that's muted good. myself, thankfully. Ah, that's a shame. I kind of thought that would be great. Uh, listeners, we appreciate you. We appreciate you so much that we are, we are ending this episode now while we still can, because God only knows where we would where we would spin off from here. Um we're incredibly grateful for the time and attention you give us, or even just the time. It's totally understandable if you, like, put this on in the background so that, I don't know, you can sleep, or maybe you don't have to hear the neighbors fighting, or, you know, maybe it's like the opposite of ASMR or something, you know, sort of. It's the, in a- the opposite? You just turn it down? No, no, no. I think the opposite of ASMR is is that it's inherently uh, irritating instead of stimulating, I would think, right? Like, you know, that, sure. that way that instead of having ear orgasms, you sort of have the the opposite, the opposite of, of, anyway. I feel like you've maneuvered me into a very unfortunate corner. <laughs> that, that was my intent. Well, well done. Well done, sir. Uh, yes, like I said, your time and or attention. We're grateful for it. It keeps us it keeps us motivated. It keeps us um keeps us reading those comics and let me tell you there were some comics that um that I'm looking forward to talking about in future episodes as well uh that we did not get around to tonight. And no, I'm not even going to tell you what those are. But trust me, they exist. Uh I also want to give a huge huge note of appreciation and a super warm hug uh auditorially speaking again seems very asmr-ish to the fine folks of patreon who not only give us their time and attention but also a little bit of their hard-earned dosh which uh adds up and means a lot um there were uh, more than a few points post my birthday where i was like oh is it wise to click this buy button and i'm like you know what I've got some, I've, chances are good I'll talk about this on the podcast, and I've got some <laughs> Patreon money coming. It's a it's a virtuous cycle. A virtuous cycle that otherwise would look like the sign of a sad middle-aged man unable to control his finances. So for that, I salute you, you wonderful, beautiful people of Patreon. Uh, and also a special shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast, as well as this little corner of the universe we call Earth. Graham? I love that you basically make it sound like Patreon is enabling some of your poor decision making. 
Yeah. Well, let's just say that a couple of weeks, the next time we play my four manga, you will find out, or manga, you will find out just how poor. Oh, I'm. Oh, I'm excited. I am. Mm-hmm. I am, as the kids say, here for it, Jeff. <laughs> Uh, the kids are also going to say that next week we have a drock, and then the week after that it's a regular rate word again. Uh, mm. And then the week after that it's Thanksgiving. What do you people want? Everyone should take some time off for that weekend. What? Yeah. Come on. Come Everyone. on. Everyone. Yes. The months, it goes by so quickly, Jeff. It'll be December, it really it'll be holidays. Yeah. Good lord. Anyway. I'm just shocked uh, that it's a drock next week, even though I know that and have known that for days. I'm like, ooh, yeah, ooh. Yes, yeah, so um, it's got a good reading, and it's uh, it's not me for once. Hooray! Um, <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited for the next rock. I really am. We're, we're doing the, the crossover episode, and therefore, hooray. Anyway, what I was going to say is, bye!